Welcome to Scary Basement. Each week, me and my friend Mikey are drawn inexplicably and supernaturally to this basement, which contains the camera of an undead Instagram influencer, the devil's favorite overnight oats, and Nessie, the Loch Ness monster, just chilling in an underground lake over there. I'm Roxy Polk. And I'm Mikey McCaller. Mikey, how about we start off this episode like we always do, talking about the scariest thing that happened to us this week. So what went down outside of your scary basement life, specifically, that spooked you to your very bones? I'll tell you something scary that happened to me this week, Roxy. All right. I forgot to respond to an email. Oh my god, that's that's a true modern horror story. <laughs> I think everybody has experienced. It is not fun. I'm sorry to hear that, Mikey. It's, it's one of those things. You just I read the email, I internalized it, and then I just didn't type a response. I just let it go away. Uh, it's unclear if that has anything to do with the MRI I just got of my brain that showed it was full of uh, small brain worms eating away and digging oh. up. Oh. Little holes. I mean, if if there was it the frontal lobe is where memory is, mm-hmm. uh, then that's probably it. Yeah, if they're in your frontal lobe. The doctor said they were specifically in my frontal lobe. <laughs> it must have been a really important email if the email not answering the email was worse than the brain worms that you have. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> now that I'm remembering, two horrifying it's... things. Now that you're remembering <laughs> them, <laughs> not great. Roxy, what was the scariest thing that happened to you this week? Um, the scariest thing that happened to me this week was uh. This is something that I don't know how I haven't talked about it before, Uh but my neighbors uh, have moved again. So I've been living in this current place for like maybe three years. Mm -hmm. Um, In those three years, the house next door to us has been sold and bought like six times in three years. You got an Amityville thing. Yes, I'm pretty sure it's haunted or cursed or something. We live next to some sort of horror show house and- it, it, there's going to be a set of new people moving in at some point because I they just took down their for sale sign, so it got sold. Uh huh. And I'm sure it'll be another six months before those people leave. Roxy, is it a new family each time? And this time, thinking they're finally going to start things off right. Yes, every single time. Oh. I I think I even talked about how like I one of the things that scary things that happened to me on a different episode was that. I had to go out and get my mail and look like absolute shit. And the family that was moving in, they were like literally sitting on a picnic blanket in the front yard Uh and look like they were from like a magazine cover or like a a Land's End catalog or something. That's great. And now you looked in their (laughs) front window and the blood splatters were (laughs) look like a crime scene photo instead of a magazine photo. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So uh, they they've changed their entire look over the course of the time they've been living in that house. <laughs> I don't know if I should warn the new neighbors whenever they show up. I don't know, Mikey. Roxy, you're the new harbinger. You have to like sit outside in a rocking chair and just be like, "Don't go in." Yeah. They're like, "Okay, we were just coming over to say hi. We don't really want advice." <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they'll have their own horror movie made about them, right? And then they can. Make, make a book too, book sales, movie sales. Hey, maybe it's yeah, whichever one survives. So bad. Yeah, then we can do a podcast episode about it. Maxi, <laughs> <laughs> here he comes, stomping over the dear, uh, sweet horror fiend, Demon Bot. Uh oh, wait, sweet. Yeah, I, I don't know why I said that one. <laughs> <laughs> Feeling uh, affectionate today. <laughs> I give him a kiss. Mikey and Roxy, y'all both know I'm sweet as a sugar plum. Oh, sorry, something went wrong with my voice module. 
This week you were assigned the 2007 film Wreck directed by Joan Balaguero and Paco Plaza and starring Manuela Velasco, Ferran Terraza, and Jorge Yamam Serrano. Did you watch the film, or are your souls forfeit? Roxy, I did watch Wreck. Did you watch Wreck? Yes, I watched Wreck. Thankfully. Good, then you may keep your souls. For now. He's not going to keep us in suspense this time. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate you. Just for that, though, not in general. In general, we don't appreciate what you're doing to us down here, but uh, we'll give you a gimme for that thing. I'm starting to feel affection for him overall. That's Stockholm Syndrome, Mikey, not affection. Yeah, it's a little Stockholm syndrome All right, well, <laughs> since we both saw the movie Wreck, why don't we uh, start off with a plot recap to let everybody at home know what Wreck is all about. Oh, hell yeah. All right. Wreck, we open with... The reporter, Angela, and cameraman, Pablo, doing a news story about a local firefighter's night shift. While getting to know their subjects, Manu and Alex, and getting bored that nothing exciting is happening, they get a sudden call about an old woman in distress. The group makes their way to the apartment where she lives. They notice a police car outside, signifying that this might be a bigger story than they originally thought. They encounter two officers trying to help the woman when she suddenly turns violent and bites the veteran officer on the neck. They quickly leave and take the injured officer downstairs, leaving firefighter Alex to monitor the old woman on his own. As they arrive downstairs, other residents have come out to see what's going on, and they all learn that the military and the police have sealed off the building and won't let anyone leave. Everyone panics about this and are given another reason to panic as Alex's body crashes to the floor after falling three stories. One of the residents is a medical intern, and so he does what he can to help the injured officer, and Alex, who is somehow still alive, Angela, Pablo, Manu, and the rookie police officer head upstairs to see what happened. The old woman has killed a girl that was in her apartment somehow, then turns on the group, which causes the rookie officer to shoot her dead. After this harrowing encounter, they all leave, and Angela and Pablo begin interviewing the residents. One woman has a sick daughter, and tells them all that the girl has tonsillitis, that their dog is sick at the vet. A lot of sickness in that family, if you ask me. During the interviews, a health inspector in a hazmat suit arrives. He handcuffs the injured people to their beds, without explaining why, and then takes aside the rookie cop and Manu to tell them something away from the camera. As Pablo tries to get a shot through a window to see what they're talking about, the injured cop and firefighter who have been handcuffed to the bed suddenly turn violent, killing the medical intern who was nearby, and then attempting to escape the beds and their handcuffs. Everyone who hasn't been bit gets the heck out of there and closes a shutter to keep these violent infected people out of the rest of the building. This is when everyone loses their patience with the hazmat man and demands an explanation. <laughs> Hazmat Man tells them that a deadly virus similar to rabies was found in a dog from the building. Everyone looks over to the woman with her stupid sick daughter who also had a stupid sick dog, and they're like, dude. Before they can even confront her, the little girl turns violent, bites her mother's face, and runs away. Hazmat Man handcuffs the mom, and he, the rookie cop, Manu, Angela, and Pablo all chase after the girl. Hazmat Guy is bit by the little girl. Rookie cop holds the little girl back and is also bit as Angela, Manu, and Pablo escape. They rejoin the few remaining residents and find a key that should let them escape via the basement sewer access. However, just when they think they can all escape, the shutter holding the other infected residents back at the bottom of the building breaks, and the building is overrun. They're not getting to that basement. The only way to escape is up to the penthouse. Manu is sadly bitten, and the other residents are lost. It's down to Angela and Pablo. 
They get into the penthouse, which has been locked away for 10 years by its previous resident, a mysterious old man from Madrid. They learn through documents found in the apartment that the owner of the apartment was a man from the Vatican trying to cure a demonic possession. The Vatican man was trying to isolate the enzyme that the young girl had in her blood as the cause of the possession. However, while he isolated the enzyme and was making progress, it's not the kind of progress he wanted to make. Instead of helping, he <laughs> caused it to mutate, and it became contagious, causing the infection in the building. Vatican man, thinking of no other way to deal with this, just decided to seal the infected girl in this very penthouse apartment, hoping that doing so would cause her to starve and die. And it's been 10 years. The girl is not dead. And now she's a nine-foot-tall, scraggly, horrifying demon creature who kills Pablo. Angela is on her own, trying to hide from the demon in complete darkness. She uses the night vision to see Pablo's deadly fate. As quiet as she is, Angela cannot escape the creature. And she too is dragged, screaming out of frame, as the camera watches her disappear. And that, Roxy, is Wreck. That's Wreck. Wreck. R-E-C. Still don't know how to say it. Still don't know. (laughs) Yeah. First of all. Reek is how we would say it if we were saying the word record. I guess that's more of the shorthand in a way, because same pronunciation. Horrible title for a pretty great movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this movie is all found footage. It's all shot through Pablo's camera lens. Yes. And I don't know. I was really enamored with Angela specifically. She's like a great character. She's really good. And actually, the actress herself is actually a like TV news personality in oh. Spain. I or Actually, I don't know specifically where in spain this was shot but this is a spanish language movie Mm -hmm. and that's the uh, another distinction we should mention you watched the dub and i watched the sub is that right anime friend uh it's completely the opposite of the opposite okay okay got it (laughs) i watched the dub and you watched the sub yes yeah i don't i've never actually watched the dub i heard that it was not great so the fact that you still like this movie even with that dub means that it couldn't have been that bad or it just speaks to how yeah. good the movie is that uh you know it didn't detract from it yeah I, it, it very much felt like i you know it was clearly jarring <laughs> like having a such a different sounding voice but it was just like i got used to it very quickly okay this movie opens with angela the lead character like trying very hard she's like working really hard to make she's just like should I stand on this side of the camera or this side of the camera? Should I, I want to get my hair in the shot. I want to just, I want to make sure that like, this is, should we take that again? I said, alarms instead of sirens. She's like very bubbly and kind of out of it. And then the second huh. shit goes down, she like jumps in and she's like, hey, you don't touch my cameraman. It's awesome. It's great to see yeah. her like shift so suddenly. Like, cause I think the, the first half of this movie, not the first half, the first 25% of it, there's nothing going on. <laughs> They're filming a story for a TV show. Where they're, they're just like, who's going to watch this show? And they even make a joke about it in the movie. One of the firemen that they're filming for the show is just like, who's going to watch this? This sucks. This is a very boring episode. She's like, yeah, I know. Well, it's called like While You Were Sleeping. And I don't know when they air it, but do they also air it at night? Because that's the title of the show. Uh, it must. It must like, air the concept, The concept of documenting like, you know, a, a good portion of the population doesn't work at night. So it concept wise that would be interesting to be like well what what are people who have night jobs what are those jobs like um but then also yeah if you're doing a realistic like just documentary about it probably not that Uh exciting most people's jobs are not super exciting in general and they're specifically booked on just like an arbitrary night 
So they're just like, yeah. throughout the first like 10 minutes of this movie, everybody's saying like, God, I sure hope the alarm goes off. So it's not just us yeah, wandering around. Yeah, she keeps saying around. that. And then one of the, like, she says that, and I think if it's the fire chief or one of the other firefighters, he's like, well, if the alarm goes off, that means someone's in danger or hurt. So I hope it doesn't go off. And right. then she's like, oh, yeah, that's kind of a shitty thing to say. She's, yeah, like, she's like, yeah, 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 yeah you're yeah, right. But I do I hope it goes off. Yeah, exactly. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, they're playing basketball. They're eating food. They're, like, going to bed. Like, she doesn't, she tries to interview some, like, ladies who are at the front desk who are like, we don't want to be interviewed. And also mm-hmm. our shift is over. Go away. It stressed me out so much. Just this idea of like going into somebody's real life job, right? Like firefighter is a job that like I, I always th- uh, I've heard it described as like a Richard Scary job. Like you remember oh. you remember those Richard Scary books where it's like uh-huh. a guy would put on like his little business hat and he could go off to his job and it's like a job you can glance at and like it's like police officer, school teacher. Uh, businessman. There's like like little outfits yeah. for a job that makes it like in my head. It's like, oh yeah, that's a real grown up person's job. And then mm-hmm. she's just like, she rolls in and she's just this like silly reporter. And it stressed me out so much thinking about being in her position and just being like, can we get an interview with you two ladies working at the desk? And they're like, no, because you don't matter. <laughs> you're just you're making this fanciful documentary that nobody wants to see for for what reason? You know, I wonder if that's an affectation of the dub that you watch, which man, I wish I had watched it. I should have double checked with you earlier that that was the version you watched cuz I should have watched that one too. Cuz in the original language, she cuts she comes across to me more as sort of like cutthroat in a way where like she will tell the cameraman like hey if this is boring just cut it we don't need to use the film literally Mm -hmm. before they go to interview a person and then Mm -hmm. she's like so it seems like she's gonna be kind of like yeah this person might be like lame we don't need to talk to them at all but Mm -hmm. so just keep that in mind and then she like switches to be like hi let's do the interview like she she's looking for the angle that she can do to make this a good story Mm-hmm. And is like, yeah, trying to make the best out of this boring situation she initially finds herself in. That's interesting. I, I guess that, that you're right. How much of her like performance is affected by her tone of voice is something mm-hmm. that is like deeply affected by hearing her say that. There are specific details that are like, I, I assume, scripted. Where she, mm-hmm. like, specifically, like, asks one of the firefighters if they can switch positions because... Yeah, she's like, my hair looks better on this side. Can we right. switch? Yeah. So, and <laughs> and she is kind of, like, at least her, her performance even is, like, very giggly at first. And she's, That's like... weird. Okay. <laughs> very different. Well, she's... We see her laughing, right? Like, she's, like, trying to talk to, she's like... She's, like, pleasant. Yeah. And then she's, like... Oh, the, the scene I keep thinking of is her saying, like, I said alarm instead of siren can we take it again and she's like laughing throughout it was that what she was oh that in, yeah in that version? was it was something like that yeah but it seemed more like she was like oh i fucked it up can we like change it kind hmm. of and then it, it was more kind of like if she was laughing in that scene it felt more like that kind of social laughter that you will do to kind of put people at ease to be like oh haha i just kind of fucked it up can we like mm-hmm. uh fix that actually yeah because uh, like she really wants to fix it so it makes her sound better but she's going to like try and couch it to be like oh yeah it's just inaccurate haha <laughs> this is interesting because now we like i i feel like her character change from the beginning to not even so much the end, but, like, the middle, <laughs> like, once uh-huh. once things start really going down is, to me, the most effective part of this movie. 
And okay. we could have we we could be looking at completely different sets of evidence <laughs> for yeah, like what this is. Didn't even think about that, but yeah. I'd say there are there are some things that at least from what you said so far definitely uh, track the same. Like you were talking about how the minute that cop like tries to make them stop filming, she's like, "Fuck you! Don't touch it! Yeah. We're still gonna film." Such a great moment. So like that part's still there. Yeah, seeing Cause, her cause she, like she comes across very competent the whole time, and like she is good at the type of job she needs to do mm -hmm. i guess uh because she feels a little more cutthroat or maybe a little more callous about the her subjects in some ways more thinking about just the story itself and how she can get a good story for her job mm -hmm. so but we yeah. we both like this this sudden shift let's talk about these zombies Roxy, okay there's uh -huh. some zombie ass zombies in this movie yeah quite a few <laughs> they're scary they get uh, they get close to you like it feels like I, I don't know. I feel like maybe a, uh, not so much a Night of the Living Dead, but like there is like a, a zombie kind of formula where it's like we're going to deal with a lot of zombies and it's not super dangerous. Like if it's a big horde, it'll be a big deal. But in this movie, it's like one zombie is a big deal. It feels like if yes. there is a zombie, the threat is there and you're going to get bit and you're probably going to die. Yeah. I mean, it's huge, especially when you see people getting bit later when there's more of them. Because, like, there's the old woman who bites the cop that they save, at the, well, they attempt to save at the beginning, and then they just leave Alex there, because they're like, well, somebody needs to take care of this old woman who went <laughs> insane and bit a man, uh, I guess you're gonna stay here. <laughs> and then he gets bit too, and falls, and doesn't gets, die from that, or I guess he becomes undead from that. He gets hucked over the railing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that first zombie is an old woman in, like, her nightgown, and it's the it's most disturbing thing i've ever seen it it's very unsettling too because it's a little short nightgown and she's got her little like panties too mm -hmm. and she's just stumbling around very disoriented like they don't know she's a zombie at first obviously i, I think that like what makes it so effective for me is how like utterly not human it immediately becomes like she has no sense of she switches of not even so much shame but she's like not even aware of it she's just like out and proud <laughs> with her old person body which is not a thing you see so it's already like very unusual and she's just like flailing about and yeah her, she's like, very disoriented <laughs> it's truly upsetting and they of course sh end up shooting her and then they cut away and she comes back yes yeah yeah after they leave the scene because there's a whole part too first they encounter her leave and then they come back up after Manu's body, I mean, not Manu, sorry, uh, Alex's body falls, like, mm -hmm. the three stories. <laughs> and that's when, like, that rookie cop guy who, man, that that character, we haven't talked about him too much yet. Yeah. Because, like, he he's the rookie in the situation, he's definitely kind of like, I'm the cop, I'm in charge, you should listen to me, but has, like, no confidence and no, no skill. No charisma. Well, he also doesn't have, like, any smarts to it either. He doesn't care about the people, he just wants to be in charge. Yeah. And he doesn't have good good plans for anything they're doing. So everybody's like, not only do you not give off the confidence to be in charge, you are also an idiot. So no, <laughs> but you have a gun and you're the only one who has a gun. And he literally uses it to threaten people. And he shoots that old woman. You can tell it's probably the first time he's ever shot anybody, at least I hope. And sees like, seems kind of wrecked by it. Re mm -hmm. Wrecked. R-E-C. Yeah, he recorded it. <laughs> they did record it. They recorded the whole thing. Uh, this movie, I think... And this kind of gets it starts getting us into the big idea of it. Like mm. the, the zombie stuff is scary, but what is tr I think truly horrifying about it is they like seal off this building, and these people yes. keep saying like we don't know what's going on. 
Why is this happening? How do we get out? And the military is like shooting spotlights at them. And they're just like, stay in the house. Cover the whole place in plastic. Yeah. If you, if we see you close to the window, we will shoot you. Right. Stay away from the windows. And the fact that they're in, in the middle of a city. So like they're in the middle of a crowded city, you know, and it's the only place being affected. It's like, how can you be in the middle of a city where you should have all of the things functioning to be able to help you theoretically? You Uh know, like you should be able to get the police in there. You should be able to get paramedics all that stuff and they're just like no you're gonna stay here and we're just gonna like either let you die or let nature take its course i don't Mm -hmm. know well i was thinking about that and i think what's so upsetting about that is like for all intents and purposes like these people are on death row yeah in the sense that like it's the same equivalent in a way the the truly logical like the military isn't wrong here (laughs) they're like yeah Yeah, they're thinking about saving the city itself these if this virus gets out all of our people are zombies and there's nothing we want less than that. So yeah. I'm so sorry. You guys are going to be in the zombie house for a while while we like even sending in a hazmat man to figure out who's been infected and who's not is honestly more than I would expect. <laughs> like, yeah, I, that's a valid point. Honestly, I thought for sure when they said like there's a hazmat man coming in, I thought for sure he was going to come in with a rifle to kill them all. Yeah. And that was going to be the next thing they were running away from. Yeah. Which like you were saying, it makes sense. They need to save the general city. You need it, it's the thing where you got to save a city. The goods of many outweigh the outweigh the needs of a few, but at the same time, utilitarianism, the best it's, argument that I used in high school debate class. <laughs> like there there is merits and there's also like drawbacks to that, just like with most things. Mm-hmm. They they're in the middle of the city, it's an isolated instant. They can be like, "Yes, we will quarantine it," but then Okay, now that we've made sure that's happened, now we'll try and save the individuals. And I guess <laughs> the hazmat man was their, not really even their attempt. He's just going into like kind of assess it. But you don't see him like talk to the people on the outside or give any kind of recommendation or anything. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's because things happen too quickly or it's like they basically sent him in there to die knowing that he probably wasn't going to be coming out, I guess. Yeah, I got the sense that he was coming in to check people and it was like it was more advanced than they thought. Oh, okay. That would be my guess. Yeah. I, I, as I'm saying that, I don't know why I thought that. <laughs> I don't remember I mean, if he said anything about that. That or not. that makes sense, and it's possible that I'm forgetting like a line or something that somebody said in there. He he gives them like some exposition, kind of like information with the zombie dog, like mm-hmm. the the dog that was brought in turned rabid and like killed all the other animals in the animal hospital. <laughs> Uh-huh. So then that's when they're like, oh, somebody with a sick dog, huh? We know somebody like that here. <laughs> <laughs> There's one character that we have not talked about it at all that we simply <laughs> must bring up, and he is the fancy man. <laughs> Roxy, Shoot. there's one uh-huh. character in this movie mm-hmm. who is a fancy man. He's quite fancy. What is his name again? I have no idea. I literally called him the fancy man the entire time. I wrote okay. him in my notes as the fancy man. He's got a thin little mustache. He's got like like one of those blazers that are also somehow, a, it's like a suit coat and a pajama. <laughs> it's like kind of gold. What? He's got okay, like yeah. ascot. And he's just like, oh, I just... I hate the others. <laughs> There's like a Chinese family who's just like, oh, I just cannot believe that they would let a Chinese family in here. Yeah, when he's he thinks wild. he's off camera. Yeah, yeah, when he thinks he's off camera, he says some very racist stuff about the Asian family that is living there when he's just like, you know, I think they brought it. They're just screaming all the time and stuff. And then he's like, okay, so when when are you starting the filming? And then she's like, we've been filming this whole time. And he's like, oh. <laughs> 
he used to live with his mother. Yeah, but then she died. And then she so. died. So he's just all alone, being fancy by himself. I guess so. He's my favorite. He's my favorite character. He's so funny. <laughs> he really is. Really <laughs> nothing to do in this movie. He's just around and then he gets eaten at the end. Well, he had information too. Like he's how they find out about the key. Like obviously in That's the summary, true, yes. if we went through every single minute little thing, uh, <laughs> we'd be here all day. But yeah, he had information about how the intern knew the person who owned the building. So the mm-hmm. intern had the key. So they have to go to the intern's apartment. But then like right after he gives that vital information, he gets bit. And then yeah. they're like, okay, we're leaving. <laughs> His sole purpose was to tell our heroes about something going on. Basically, yeah. Which is too bad. <laughs> But he is fun. And like, so looking into how this movie was made, a lot of stuff was done in like single shots. And a lot of stuff was, you know, they were given an outline. Some things were specifically scripted, but a lot of things were sort of like improv with some of oh, the actors, that's tight. which I don't know. It would be interesting to know how much of that guy's performance was like he came up with that or like if it was <laughs> specifically scripted. Because uh, yeah, it seemed like he was having fun. The other thing I noticed in this movie is... After they the the guy falls off over the railing and then they go back upstairs to check again and then they come back downstairs, they get the shutters open for the first time. Uh-huh. And it does feel like in a video game when you open like <laughs> level two. <laughs> it felt so much like RPD in a way. Like with the way the architecture is, it's kind of like old school. Oh, sure. And like there's literal shutters in like Resident Evil 2 remake as well. Like at the beginning, Leon crawls under one. Yeah. It's one of the first things you do. It, it um, felt a lot like a Resident Evil game, just like in terms of finding the keys. Yes, yep, yep. <laughs> and also zombies. <laughs> Someone pees. Uh, it's a good movie. Roxy, it's very fun. And then at the end, we get what I think is like the most effective sequence of this whole movie. It's they go up into the attic. Good. Uh-huh. It's been kind of set up throughout the movie that like there's a penthouse but whoever lives there hasn't been home in 10 years. Yes, it's been and locked up for 10 years. I don't know. I feel like they did a really good job of just like, I knew about that, but I wasn't like, oh, something scary is going on up there. Or I wasn't like worried about it or even really thinking we would talk about it. I feel like they dropped right? that information in a way that made it like, yeah, oh, that's that's a cool little lived in detail. And yeah, it feels on. very natural that way. I think a lot of this movie feels very natural in many ways, which is what makes it so effective. And like that whole end sequence, uh, like halfway through it, they get the light knocked off. So like Angela is in complete darkness and Pablo, who has the camera, he's got night vision. Mm -hmm. So he's like seeing these things. (laughs) She's not. And actually, interestingly enough, the people, the dudes who made Outlast, the Outlast game, Mm -hmm. Which is a horror game where you are a journalist who has a camera who is filming everything in like this crazy fucked up situation he's in. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was extremely inspired by this movie. Like the creators have mm. said so. Especially that sequence in the end. That makes a lot of sense. Which it's it's very effective. I think <laughs> Especially it's, it's... because of the way they show the monster and all of the little notes and stuff. Again, like Resident Evil, there's a bunch mm-hmm. of notes where they're learning clues. They do it in this really cool way where they're just like slowly panning and the walls are just covered with like newspaper clippings. Yeah. No, not creepy person has ever clipped anything out of a newspaper. <laughs> At least not since the internet. Well, the thing is, too, like, he's documenting stuff he already knows, I guess, because he's the, <laughs> the guy from the Vatican who has been treating this lady. So it's like he's collecting, like, yeah. documents and news reports about himself that he he knows the situation better than they could report on. You're so. exactly right. He is 
creating his own wall of like fandom yeah for himself that rules so just so he can look at it and think about the good times i guess when that girl was possessed and he couldn't save her <laughs> So did are we saying that he got eaten by this girl or is he just gone? Did he He's gone. So he was bail? like, I can't I can't save her, so I have to hope she will starve to death and die here because I either gotcha. don't want to be responsible for her dying or I literally can't kill her. Probably because she's on un- some sort of demonic creature, probably some sort of undead thing where if you kill her she doesn't die. Mm-hmm. So he's probably thinking like, well, if I don't feed her, she should die like the body should die, right? Yeah, that's reasonable. Even if the demon in her doesn't. So I'll just seal her up in here and she'll be contained. So even if she doesn't die, she'll still be contained. So this monster lady that we meet at the end is nine feet tall. Basically, yeah. Do we think it was a nine foot tall girl who was bitten and possessed by a demon? Or does the virus make you taller? <laughs> You know, that's that's a good question. Because, um, Roxy, I've always thought about it. The difference between me and an NBA basketball player is literally just two feet. So. You want to get demonically possessed, Mikey? Is that what you're telling I'm me? I'm not saying I don't want to get demonically possessed. <laughs> you want those two feet. Shaquille O'Neal is not that good at basketball. He just happens to be tall. Like, it's not something he's doing. He's possessed by a demon. That's how he does it, of course. If that's the case, then it's like, okay, cool. I would love to suddenly have that life. (laughs) Well, uh, you know, if I ever hear about a demon looking to possess someone, I'm sure there's somebody down here in this basement who can help you out, Mikey. (gasps) You should maybe be careful what you mentioned down here. (laughs) Roxy, let's move on. Okay, Good, good idea. I have been trying to possess your bodies for almost a year at this point, and you're telling me all I needed to do was get Mikey some stilts. Uh, I got a question for you. All right, what's the question you got? Okay, so our host, Angela, works for the show While You Were Sleeping, Mm -hmm. which is like an insane show that nobody would watch and is on in the middle of the night, I assume, while people are sleeping. What is a weird TV show that you stumbled upon late at night at any point in your life? That you were just like, ooh, I gotta, I can't believe I found this. I'm kind of excited that I found this. I'd say, like, if we're talking about network TV stuff, there were plenty of times as a kid where I'd be up way too late and see, like, weird infomercials or, like, public access stuff. Chilling. You know, products nobody was ever going to buy, but somebody (laughs) paid for the ad slot, so they have to put it up. I'd say more recently, though discovering things like Tubi or subbing to Shutter, like it will recommend or just start auto-playing stuff. So uh-huh. I'll be like up really late because of insomnia or something and it'll just start auto-playing some weird horror movie from like the 80s that I've never even heard of. Really? Are they weird and gross? They they are, usually. <laughs> One of them in particular was like about this woman who was obsessed with this book about a maniac it might have even been called maniac and so she like read the first book and was like oh i'm so enthralled by this maniac killer and then she starts having like a stalker and seeing like visions of this misshapen dude killing people and cutting off pieces of their face to add to to his face to be like do you like this now (laughs) and then she gets another book that's the sequel and then like the sequel book didn't really exist but how does she have it whoa that's how i feel about uh banjo tooie oh the sequel to banjo kazooie it's just like it feels like it probably doesn't exist but i just have it and why it feels haunted 
Yeah, well, that's how I felt haunted about the movie, I think, was maybe called Maniac. <laughs> but what about scary. you, Mikey? <laughs> I had a lot of shows that I always describe as having this, like, uh, found late at night vibe, even though they're, like, very popular now. Like, the first season or two of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia had that vibe. It was just on late at night. Oh, okay. Um, Mystery Science Theater 3000 certainly has that vibe for me. It just feels like Hell something yeah. that I found by myself. The big ones that played a... a Big role in my life growing up. The first one was Joe Bob Briggs's Monster Vision. What on earth is that? It was a TNT like block of horror movies, and they were. It was certainly where I watched some of the first horror movies I ever saw. But he would. He was oh. just like this weird Texasy film criticy guy, and they would just cut to him like before, like for the commercials, and he would just give little trivia or make little quips about it. And he still like works for Shutter. He's still like a host, and he's fun. I like watching him. But the show. That haunts me that I just recently remembered exists and am shocked is real. Have you ever watched the show Duckman? I've never even heard of that. What is that? Duckman? It was this kind of, it was an animated show that I believe was on USA Network. Okay. Late at night. Jason Alexander, who played George Costanza on Seinfeld, does the voice of a character named Duckman. And he's like a private detective and his like sidekick is a pig and he has a wife that he hates and oh great it's just like it's one of those like it's kind of i feel like it's kind of gross like he might have it like sounds a gross. two-headed he has like a two-headed son what <laughs> it's just like okay it's it's truly insane and i like saw it on maybe like a hulu style service not too long ago and was like i thought i dreamed up that show while i was on mushrooms not yeah that, that does I, that sounds like a fever dream it does <laughs> i feel like the first season or like after the first season his wife that he didn't like left him and her sister moved in and he did like her but it was like like, like her like liked living with her better than the wife or was like interested in her in a gross way he was definitely I, oh, I can't remember but it was like it wasn't just like it had its template it's like it evolved it was like there were more storylines like when it was okay nice bernice or mean bernice her name was bernice the wife okay uh, i'm gonna watch every single episode of the show as soon as we're done you need this. to like send me a photo of this because this does not sound real okay yeah <laughs> not no, that i'm doubting insane. you but i just want to see it, what because my brain is trying to picture what this looks like its art style was almost like a uh, rocco's modern life kind of Okay. Truly an insane show. Which I did watch a lot of Rocco growing up. <laughs> oh my god. Roxy, now that we've talked enough about Duckman, how would you rate this movie on the likeliness it would happen in real life on a scale of 1 to 9 since the number 10 does not exist in the scary basement? Okay, so I said 8 out of 9 for the fact Whoa. that if something like this happened in real life, they would totally leave the residents in there to die. Just like how you said, it surprised me they even sent a hazmat guy in there and not a guy with a machine gun or something to kill them all. Like, yeah, I, I was like, yeah, I feel basically exactly the same way. Because mm-hmm. they they do jack shit to save them. It It's understandable you're trying to protect the public, but then they're not trying to help them individually at all. They don't care. Yeah, you know, maybe help people before they become zombies, so then there's less zombies for you to deal with and to infect people, but, well, you know. <laughs> here's that's kind of gets into my line of thinking. I actually gave mm. it a three. I don't think okay. it's very likely, because I think before we get to a point where everybody's been bitten, I think that at this point we are so well-versed in zombie fiction that these monsters uh. would be shot in the head right away before anything goes too wrong. That old you know, lady that, gets that's... blown away. 
That's a good point because, yeah, always in zombie media, usually, like, zombie media doesn't exist within the zombie media. So mm-hmm. when somebody is turning into a zombie, they're like, what is this? I've never seen anything like this before. Mm-hmm. Whereas, yeah, if it was in the real world, they'd be like, it's, they're a fucking zombie. What? <laughs> sure looks like a zombie to me. Yeah, it looks like a zombie. We to should me. shoot it in the head. I would rather. Uh-oh. Mikey, you sure you want to say this? I'm saying this, and then I was like, nope, I don't think I believe this. <laughs> no. <laughs> I will say, Roxy, when I die, and I can't remember, I know you have a lot of responsibilities to take care of when I die, including yeah. paying for my coffin and gravestone and making sure there's a cool puzzle involved in my grave. But also, I want you to be in charge of putting one bullet in my head to make sure that I can never come back as a Oh, okay. Can you handle that? So zombie proofing. Uh, as long as you're already very certifiably dead for a long time, yes. Yeah, yeah. wait a week to be sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, Roxy, I add it to the list in your will to make sure. And also make sure there's like a really nice spread, like a turkey sandwiches with the crust cut off for everybody who comes to the wake. Okay, the wake, not the shooting you in the head part. The, wait, no, you want me to shoot you in the head at the wake. Is that what you're saying? Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, they wouldn't let me get to a wake if I was still alive. Okay, shoot me in the head at the wake and make sure there's a nice spread, and but keep them in separate rooms. Roxy, last week we made a bet. Mm-hmm. We were wondering what timestamp the first zombie would appear. Yes, we were. So I said 16 minutes. Mm-hmm. I said 11 minutes. Okay, so I counted... It's minute 12 when you see the old lady for the first time, but like Mm -hmm. minute 13 when she's revealed to actually be a zombie and bites. So regardless of that, you're still closest. You win, Mikey. I wrote down 1223 as well. We did it. Yeah. We, I mean, I. (laughs) I did it. Congratulations. I'm the big time winner this week. Don't fucking tell me I'm not. Right now, the total bet score sits at 16, Roxy. 15, Mikey. Tie one. For real? Okay, I didn't quite realize we're almost neck and neck. Look at that. It's getting close. Sure are. And Roxy, I did find a small scrap of paper hidden under a brick that said, the bets will be resolved at 30. 30 total or 30 winner or 2030? (laughs) Could be anything. That's all the scrap of paper said. But I I would be willing to bet that once one of us reaches 30 points, something's going to happen. Wait a second. Hang on. I just had a thought. So Demon Bot probably didn't leave that. Were there a a duo of people doing this before us? I know we've been doing this for like decades at this point, but what if there was people before us? And that's a note from the people who came before us, Mikey. You mean the before folk? I guess so. And since we're here and they're not, they either succeeded and got away or they've been taken out and we replace them. Well, I guess we replace them either way, but... Wow, scary. I hadn't even thought about that. I hadn't even thought about that. Now we got a new thing to be scared of. We got a new thing to be scared of. (laughs) Okay, well, you keep that note. Don't let demon bots see. Shit, he's coming over. Hide it, Mikey. Hide it. I need it. No, no. We'll need to look at that later. God damn it. Hide demon (sighs) bot. What are you eating, Mikey? Nothing. Go ahead. Tell us about the movie. Yeah, it's not important. Don't worry about it. You know snacks aren't allowed in the scary basement after the incident with the guy in the vents. Anyway, congratulations, you have officially reviewed the film Wreck. Your souls are safe for another week. For next week, you must review the 2005 film Curse directed by Wes Craven and starring Christina Ricci, Jesse Eisenberg, and Portia de Rossi. If you do not, your souls shall be forfeit and I will claim your bodies as my own. 
All right, Roxy. So for next week, you and I, we're going to watch the movie Cursed from 2005, directed by Wes Craven, written by Kevin Williamson. I feel like... <laughs> we love both of those guys. <laughs> we like both of them a lot. We've loved their collaborations in the past. Yep. Roxy, we got to make a bet for next week, right? Yes, we sure do. Cursed, that's a werewolf movie. Uh-huh. Werewolves become werewolves through the full moon. Generally. How many total full moons do you think we'll see in the movie Cursed? Mm, okay. Does it count like if it cuts away? Because it'll be the same moon, right? Right, yeah. Uh, I, I would say total full moons. For each not, scene, not, not each cut to a moon. So, like, okay. yeah. Total okay. times the full moon is featured in a scene. Um, I don't know. Maybe this is lowballing it too much, but I'm going to guess three. Three? Okay. I, what about you? Uh, I'm going to say four. Price is oh. right style. Okay. Hell yeah. Well, either we're both going to be very close or we're both going to be super far away if they show the full moon a ton of times. Well, just think about how many werewolf transformations there could possibly be in the movie, right? It's not going to be there's, eight. There's a long list of people in this movie, and I don't know how many of them are going to be werewolves. So I guess we'll find out. I guess we'll find next out. Next week <laughs> on Scary Basement. The pact has been sealed. I mean, the bet is confirmed. The person who is closest to the number of full moons in the film shall be declared the winner. The loser must create a shrine of mourning for all of the practical effects made by Rick Baker and the team at KNB that were covered up with horrible CGI. All right. So we have talked about a lot of spooky, scary monsters this week, Mikey. Mm -hmm. So how about we talk about something that makes us happy? What's been making you happy this week? Roxy, have I ever told you about the Virtue the Cat trilogy? Uh, no, what even kind of media is that? Um, my favorite band of all time. One oh, of my, like, okay. A couple favorite bands. Uh, the Weaker Thens made uh, a record in 2005 that had a song called, uh, 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 a song about a cat named Virtue. It's called Plea from a Cat Named Virtue. Okay. And it's a song written from the point of view of a cat that is Love about that part. how their owner is slipping into alcoholism and how they're like rooting for them. And it's kind of sad but it's kind of like upbeat it's like about the cat saying like i know you're strong you can beat this you can do this and then two years later i don't know i i'm getting all these years wrong i have no idea when these albums came out okay. later the weaker thens released another album and they had a song called virtue the cat explains her departure oh no the cat died no it's about the cat realizing like you're not gonna fix yourself and i still love you but I have to go, and I'm sorry. And it's very sad. Oh my god. Okay, so the cat gave him two years. And then the most recent John K. Samson album is the lead singer of The Weaker Thens. He made a solo record okay, and wrote a third song called uh, Virtue at Rest. Oh, okay. Which is from the point of view of the man who lost the cat after he has gotten sober Uh huh. and realizes that he knows the cat is gone he knows enough time has passed the cat ran away uh-huh but the memory of the cat in his brain uh the line that really gets me each time is uh batting at my synapses like bright balls of string is that the memory of this cat is going to keep him on the straight and narrow when he's ready to slip oh <laughs> that's it it's him realizing that the cat even though she's gone loves and remembers him that's that's sad, but uplifting. It's really nice. Uh, and somehow I was just coming across the first song just popped up on my Spotify Discover this week. And I listened to them all again. And they just hurt so good. They're so beautiful. Uh, the Virtue the Cat trilogy. Okay. So that if 
Yeah, I was going to say, if people want to look it up, that's the official name that they can look up. I don't think they can. It's uh, it's the Weaker Than's Virtue the Cat. And okay. the, it's like, I, I believe the songs are uh, Plea from a Cat Named Virtue, uh, Virtue the Cat Explains Her Departure, and Virtue at Rest. Okay. A song like that, too, and three of them being so specific, is it, like, autobiographical for many of the people involved in the band? I don't think so. I, the, the Weaker Than's... Or just, like, kind of a fanciful scenario. The Weaker Than's are kind of a story band. They'll, like, write songs oh. from the perspective of, like, they have a song called uh, Hymn for a Medical Oddity, and it's about a man who has something strange about him medically, and so everybody's studying him, and he's kind of hoping that, like, they'll remember him after he checks out. Like, they, they're from, like, interesting okay. points of view. That I don't know how autobiographical gotcha. they are. Yeah, well, if that's, like, another thing that they did, like, the one you were explaining, then yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, regardless of whether it is or isn't, it still is a uh, nice little story. Nice, lovely story. It- yeah. That's what's making me happy. Roxy, what's making you happy? Uh, what's making me happy is a friend came to visit from out of town. I haven't seen him in a while. He came down, like, with his, his family. Aw. I was like... Hey, they're gonna, my wife and my kid are gonna be elsewhere, like visiting with other people. Let's go visit, like, all the used game stores like we used to when I lived in town and go, yeah. go bargain hunting and hang out and catch up and everything. So we got to do that. We, we got to do that. It was. Did you get any cool, sweet games? Yeah, actually, I got, uh, Ur Guys for the PlayStation 1. <laughs> yeah, I've never heard of that. <laughs> uh, it's a really weird oddity of a game. It's like by Squaresoft, so the people that made Final Fantasy, but it's a fighting game. Ooh. And it has all original characters except for like Cloud Strife from Final Fantasy <laughs> 7. So it's like a beat em up game with Cloud Strife that is like an official <laughs> Squaresoft cool. game. And it has like a weird dungeon mode. It's, uh, it's wild. It's a game that I remember my brother bought when we were kids and then sold it. And I was like, man, I wish I had played that because I didn't really get to try it out very much when we had it. Then found it at a really good price at uh, one of these used game stores and was like, well, now I'm going to find out. This is huge. Roxy, that's yeah. great. I'm very excited. So uh, all around, got to visit my friend, got to get a good deal, got to do stuff like... It- it's fun to be able to reminisce and stuff like that. I'm sure you've got plenty of friends too and like I know whenever we get to finally hang out in person again, it'll be sort of a similar thing where it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, let's go do stuff we used to do. I love doing stuff I used to do. <laughs> let's go get ice cream and feel happy. Yes, let's do it. We can get ice cream, then we can also go to use game stores. Roxy, can't wait. we got to get out of this scary basement. You got to go play uh, your Cloud Strife fighting game. Yep. I got to uh, curl up with a mug of cocoa and <laughs> Think <weep>. about cats. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But before we do that, we have to get past the guardsmen of the basement. Each week, the demon bot hires a new monster to guard the basement door. And yet, each week, we still keep escaping. This week, to get past the guardsmen, I brought along a single grenade. Okay. What kind of grenade? Like a normal explosive grenade? or Like a, like a pull pin and explode grenade. Okay. So here we go. I'm going to open the door. Uh, I'm going to stand back here behind this Iron Maiden. That's smart. <laughs> Pulling the pin. Okay, is it over? I think I heard it. Wow, it worked. It worked really well. Um, Roxy? Mikey? There's no guardsman in the basement. He exploded. Who even was it? Did you even see who it was? It might not have been someone who needed a grenade to get past. Yeah, we'll, we'll never know who it was. And it's almost scarier not knowing. Okay. Okay.